live from Tel Aviv, two nice Jewish boys. Hi, I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Noor Menninger. M.K. Tamal Zandberg entered politics in 2008 when she was elected to the Tel Aviv City Council as a member of the Meretz Party. During her time as a council member, she served on several committees, working diligently to promote women's rights, public transportation on Shabbat, affordable housing, civil and same-sex marriage, and many other causes. Zandberg played a central role in the social protest movement of 2011 and led the withdrawal of Meretz from the council coalition following the too violent suppression of those protests. In 2013, Zandberg rose to the national stage, joining the Knesset as a member of Meretz, where she continues to vehemently promote the causes she believes in. She joins us today to talk about these and more. This podcast is made in cooperation with the Jewish Journal, www.jewishjournal.com. Also in cooperation with Secret Tel Aviv, Israel's largest online social network community in English. Just look for the group on Facebook or visit them at secrettelaviv.com. Subscribe to Two Nice Jewish Boys on iTunes. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate us. Hi, Tamal. How are you? Hi. Great. How are you? So first of all, what is vehemently? <laughs> vehemently? Yeah. I, I was too shy to ask, so thank you. Yeah. So I have to admit now that I have no idea. <laughs> I hope it works in context, but I'm not sure. You made that up. I, I might have made it up. I might have. We, um, we're pro that, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know Eliezer Ben Yehuda? Exactly. He, he invented like the whole like, yeah. modern Hebrew. Hebrew. Yeah, yeah, so why not? Why not? New words. So I want to begin tomorrow. We're just, when we record this, we're two days after the chemical attacks in Syria. And mm-hmm. there's been a huge debate over this. I saw so many, I heard so many opi- opinions. And I wonder um, ab- about wh- whether or not Israel should do something. And I'm wondering uh, what's your take on it? What's Meritz's uh, take on it? First of all, I think whether or not Israel can or should do something or anything is, is, is a big question. And I'm not sure that I know, I'm not sure Meretz is, you know, in a position uh, to take a stand on a question like that. I do think that even the idea that someone can or should develop a, an opinion about whether or not what is happening in Syria is good or bad, and we have heard some discussions about that, about people... Almost, and maybe not not almost, but but maybe even happy about you know Syrians or Arabs um, attacking each other, killing each other, and you're referring to you know Magal's. I'm uh, tweet referring today. to a few very prominent right wing figures um, developing a, a discussion whether this is you know good or not, whether they're interests. happy or not, whether yeah. something you know. These are children bombed in gas and are being slaughtered by a dictator. Um, and, and I think that really... A you dictator know, who, with whom we almost made peace once uh, upon yes, a time. Yes, that's true. And this, you know, this is a question of Israel's interests. This is a question of Middle East politics. You know, these are questions that we should develop opinion on. We should react to different circumstances. But the question whether or not this is a good or bad thing, whether children are being murdered. Yeah, this is something out of the discussion. And I think we should push that back out of the conversation altogether. Right. I personally think, uh, like, I think that I'm not sure that Israel should uh, do something um, active. But I am certain that... 
first of all, I think it's Europe's interest to get involved and do something there mm-hmm. um, more severe. And of course, the United States, but let's say there's a slim, slim chance that yeah. the States I, will do anything. By but the way, one thing, Israel, you know, first of all, as a neighbor, as geographic you know, proximity. Right. And second of all, out of our, you know, personal, political, national history, we have, n- we know what, you know, prosecution is and we know what it means being slaughtered. a minority and even slaughtered. Um, and I think humanitarian wise, there is a lot to do, you know, in dealing with the refugees, opening some kind of, you know, a corridor maybe of humanitarian aid, um, reaching I mean, out to the refugees. Yes, yes, there are some things happening. Yeah. No, not, um, not all is... I don't uh, know if yeah. enough. I don't know if it comes from, you know, mm-hmm. but... Um, but I do think that there's an issue of international, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better word, impotency when it comes to Syria. No for one's sure. doing anything. Everyone's kind of sitting on the sidelines and letting this thing play Waiting out. Waiting for the other one maybe yeah. to take the first this step. This yeah. is very true and I think this is something familiar to our nation's history. You know, in going back 70 years about the, the uh, reluctance or the indifference uh, of the world and this is another reason why we should be the first ones to at least raise our voice, at right. least mm-hmm. raise awareness to a disaster going on right, you know, three kilometers from here mm-hmm. so you were recently in the states if right. i'm not mistaken at apec right right um and you led some some protests there <laughs> participated uh, yeah not, not i sure did not lead, lead and i i yeah. hardly even participated i just you know went to meet with the group that i identify with their goals and that i i think we share a lot of our politics a lot of our views and and values um what are, who first, are they? First and foremost, opposing the, opu- the occupation. Um, they're called, if, if not now, they are a group of young, very enthusiastic activists. Um, many of them Jewish, some of them Israelis, some of them, many of them come to Israel, love Israel. All of them are pro-Israel. It's like J Street and also it's neighborhood. It's like a more, yeah, it's like a more, a little bit more activist, um, you know, on the uh, like protest Mm -hmm. side of J Street. Um, And you caught some flack for this. Not not actually from the right side of the aisle, but from someone who was a member of your party. No, no? no, you. No, I, I, I well, I'm referring to Tzviya Greenfield. Oh, and well. how she said that you know you going there was kind of maybe a little bit too much. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, let's just close the, yeah, yeah. the the issue and then get to Tzviya Greenfield, which is which is another and, and interesting uh, debate. Um, so first of all, uh, you know, I, when I come to the U.S., I'm still the same person elected by the same people here in Israel. Um, my country that I love, that I was born in, that I represent its citizens, and that I know deeply that the number one existential threat to the sustainability and prosperity of Israel is the occupation over the West Bank and the Palestinian people. And this is the number one, if we should, you know, we are right before Pesach, um, if there is one thing we should free, not only the Palestinians, but also ourselves from, is being military occupying another people, preventing their political and human uh, rights. Um, And this is something that I go and, you know, say and act and do and protest everywhere in Israel and 
everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think regarding APAC, which is the pro-Israeli lobby and a very strong and big one and good and i think it's a good thing for israel to have such a strong ally and very very good people um i'm i'm sure that um this is a point where we should have an honest discussion about what does it mean to be pro-israel and the most pro-israeli zionist and patriotic thing you can do is oppose the occupation to save israel from a very dark future. Um, and this is what I said in APAC. This is what mm-hmm. I, say, I said, by the way, a month ago in J Street. This is what I say and do here in Israel. And this is also You're what I said. You're pretty consistent, I, did. I yeah, think. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. We can't blame you for not being consistent. Right. That's so true. so if we're go- if we're not going to move uh, before we move on to Greenfield actually oh. let's dive a little deeper into that because mm-hmm. I think that uh, many people would say to that 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 you know um the West Bank probably doesn't present the most existential threat. I mean many people would claim and I'm playing devil's advocate here. I mean I'm not going I'm not going to reveal my sure? own beliefs. Okay. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> what I'm saying is that many people would claim that you know rockets coming from Gaza, Hezbollah Iran reaching, you know, nuclear uh, weapons, that would present much more of an existential threat than... Yeah, well, first of all, I think it's a, it's a very bad competition, you yeah. know, um, just trying to compete who is the worst threat. We have several threats. Mm-hmm. Um, in some of them we deal with more successfully. Um, by the way, a huge issue in the American community right now in the Israeli lobby is the question of Iran and the Iran deal. Uh, I think something we should know and understand is that the vast majority of military and security officials, present and past, think that the Iran deal, um, now maybe under question mm-hmm. or, or in a way trying to rethink about it, um, was given the possibilities, was the best thing for Israel's security because it um, um, prolonged, pers- the, yeah, prolonged yeah. The, the, uh, the, the, the existential threat mm-hmm. from maybe a year to 10 years mm-hmm. during which, you know, the, um, th- there is a process that should be... Uh, um, during which, hopefully, the regime then, there will change. Yeah, either that or at least as Israel, as a small, strong but small country, we have the back of the entire international community behind us on that and we are part of a much larger coalition um, that is also worried about the Iranian mm-hmm. uh, threat and, and actually did something that did not include war because given the other op- options which yeah. were either military attack which is dangerous or um, uh, sustaining the situation as it is which would make the Iranian bomb become available in a year yeah. that, would, that was the better option so that is in a way, you know, maybe not off the table, but postponed a little bit. Postponed, uh-huh. Bibi will be prime minister probably in 10 years also, so worst case, he'll uh, deal with it. We really <laughs> don't know about that, and I wouldn't, you know, if I were a right-wing uh, voter, yes. I would not sit very, very quietly on my chair at home, okay. you know, relaxing, thinking, you know, that's going to be, uh, Bibi's going to be here forever. Um, so, you know, the... The notion that the occupation is the number one or major existential threat is not only mine. Mm -hmm. Um, Many, you know, we just heard the retiring head of uh, Mossad claiming the same thing just a week ago. Um, This is a major threat 
and it is in our hands to resolve it. And that's the most, I think, important. But what I want to try and understand and get to the bottom of is mm-hmm. how it threatens the existence of Israel in the sense that it, it threatens to cause us to lose international support. No, first of all, first of all, we are for 50 years now, mm-hmm. we are military ruling millions of people, civilians under our responsibility, under our occupation. Mm-hmm. This is a major cause for rounds of violence that consistently repeat themselves within two or three years. Um, this is a cause for a huge waste of resources, of human lives, um, a major cause for the desperation and lack of hope. And when we look to our future, what is the vision? You know, after we have, in a way, achieved the, the inspiring and amazing project of the state of Israel as the dream of the Zionist movement within, you know, a short, few short decades. What now? What now? Where are we going? Can we sit quietly and just know that we are safe and sound in our, you know, national homeland? Mm-hmm. The, the one thing that puts shadow on that vision is, is that the conflict. Yeah. Right. Although... Uh, less and less people, I think, um, consider that uh, and take that so um, so deeply as you as you say. Because when I'm thinking about merits, let's let's take a step back for mm-hmm. a second. What is merits? So merits, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was founded in ninety one, ninety two, right? Uh, but as a coalition of three of parties, three that parties, existed yes. And well, it began with a huge dream uh with 12 mandates right in 92 Mm -hmm. which was the biggest the highest number you guys ever had 12 out of 120 and you were actually the third biggest party in the knesset so i read uh, yes even though yeah okay well even though yeah but other changes have happened since of uh, course because the 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 israeli not just not just in reality and not just in merits but also the Israeli politics right now is much more, you know, distributed right. than it used to be. Back then, it was the Rabin government. Um, Labor had 44 seats and Meretz another 12 True. and another block. So right now, it's much more, Dispersed. you know. Yeah. But, so, but still, many people voted in 92 for Meretz. Mm-hmm. A lot of people. Yeah. And slowly but surely, the number kept declining up until in recent elections, you almost got wiped out. Because they rose the, how do you say it in English? Threshold. Threshold yes. Um, and it's now you need five mandates to get in. So you almost, you were this close to not even getting to the Knesset. And this is m- maybe representing the story of what's going on in Israeli society, politics-wise, where the left, some say, is on some sort of a an existential crisis. What do you think about um, that? I'm really not sure about that. And I want to present the picture a little bit different as much as I, of course, I don't uh, um, ignore the facts that you described about the numbers. We, we see that. Nevertheless, um, Meretz represents something that is bigger than, uh, than, than, than the numbers right now, where Israeli society is, I think, in, in, uh, in a political crisis. That's true. Um, I think it is more of a leadership crisis than an ide- ideological one. I think there is a vast majority, not only uh, large numbers, but minority, but a vast majority 
that understand that the, the right-wing governments are leading us nowhere. They don't have the solution. They're speaking about annexation, about a one-state, two-state, you know, the famous Trump uh, uh, sentence. Yeah, whatever and you guys understanding want. understanding this is, you know, constant violence and, and uh, you know, um, tearing the society from within apart, um, chasing and, and prosecuting after every criticism with NGO law on the one hand and uh, and uh, narrowing the space for uh, freedom Free of, pe- press. of press and democracy on the other hand people understand that this is not a vision that they want that they support and that is necessary on the other hand the support for the two-state solution is is steadily high is still over 60 percent even though many people do not believe it's possible they still support it in large numbers um, and i believe that Meretz represents uh, an anchor, something that is very, very strong on the ideology, on the vision, and also on the politics. And a stronger Meretz is a key to a much larger political camp, um, also consists of bigger parties than us, that would together form a coalition. So I'm not sure that the situation, I'm sure that the situation of Meretz does not represent the entire support of our ideas. And I'm also sure that uh, merits for itself can and should be in the Israeli system where it's not like a, you know, a two block, like a bipartisan mm-hmm. system, a stronger merits, even with smaller numbers, a merits of eight, of nine, of 10 seats is a key for the entire system to go left and present um, yes, a whole new alternative to what we see right how now. How the political system here works, which is complicated, we explained it way back in mm-hmm. the first episodes, mm-hmm. so you can check it out. Um, it kind of um, reminds me what you're saying of what you were writing about in the article which you which you published. What was this it? This week, yeah, this week, yeah. as a as a reply yeah. to Tzvi yeah. Greenfield. To Tzvi Tzvi Greenfield. Yeah. Oh, no, now Arrets. you get a chance but to go now, back to Tzvi yeah, Greenfield. Yeah, exactly. I so wanted to. Bring <laughs> Nobody that knows up. who she is, by the way. So <laughs> yeah, of our listeners, not, neither so. do I. Just like vehemently, there's I bring up subjects she's this, and I just um, don't. Some sort of orthodox left. Yeah, she, left. By the way, she's a former candidate on the merits list that she was, right. was not months, reelected. Right? Yeah, there are politics here also involved. Yeah, but she represents an idea that is more important than the name um, mm-hmm. claiming that the left should go right yeah. and should go and to unite. the center and unite but unite from a position where maybe we should blare our positions a little bit yeah. um, you know turn to the center a little bit because the society is getting so right so maybe yeah. we should get a little bit right leaning as well and my point is the exact contrary in order to present an alternative we should be very sharp and vocal on our values first and foremost first of all because this is the moral thing to do you know you don't fold your ideals because they're not popular but the 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 mechanism the way the tool to make them popular is first of all to be confident about yourself and to have a vision and go after it without thinking about, um, you know, Martin Luther King, he said, I have a dream. He did not say, I have a strategy. And when you present a dream, people follow. When you start calculating strategies, Mm-hmm. People lose interest and they're right to do so because people will only trust someone who first of all trusts him or herself. People go with what their tummy uh, tells them. Exactly. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, this is the, the first feeling. rule about politics, the gut feeling. Look at the right. There is no, there is nothing 
far right enough, you know, just, just fall to a, to a hole of, of extreme right. Yeah. And the for whole some reason, it's successful. The whole story of the right, if you ask people, um, they say, we're not happy, but, but, you know, they say, we don't happy, the economy is not good. But I will vote only for Bibi. Why? It's strictly gut feeling, I think. Yeah. So... You know the you know the babysitter uh, yeah. video mm-hmm. from the uh, someone who will watch your kids yeah, you know? yeah. babysitter someone who seems um, responsible um, so I I think that um, we should first of all be and then appear sure and confident about ourselves and we should yeah. be because we are right our you know justice on, is on our side we are mm-hmm. on the right side of history and um, the two-state solution is the the exact continuation of the Zionist dream about the national homeland for the Jewish people if we want to keep Israel Jewish and democratic the two-state solution is the only solution um, and as much as we'll present our confidence in our righteousness people will be look at it and you know people are just looking they're just searching for someone to tell them the truth and mm-hmm. someone they can trust right um, these are the true you know truth and faith these are the two most important things in in leadership I think the the, the only problem with that that saying that this is the only option I I'm reluctant to to put it that way but if you look at it, it basically we're now in Tel Aviv life here is magnificent um, like People here are having fun, and in general, life in Israel sim- seems good, unless there's a terror attack here and there. But let's assume that we get to a point where there's a status quo, and, the t- and not, not, not so much terror, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, why is that not an, like, an alternative when you go and talk to young people who might say to you, what do I care about? Why do I need another state? Uh, life is good here now. Right. So assuming we can um, put an end to terror, why can't we live in a status quo? Why, why do I mind? My you life know, is, is great. This, uh, this notion of managing the conflict instead of solving it keeps blowing in our face time and again. In military operations, in wars, in international isolation, in just people... You But know, no one so- promises that a state will solve all those. We don't course, really know what will happen after the Palestinian all, state. You know, you never know what's going to happen. You do know that one cannot stand in the way of justice and equality from becoming a reality. So I, I, I really cannot understand how come the Jewish people who got, we got our rights from the international community by the UN, for example, you know, the recording of the voting in the UN in November 47 is one of the most famous, you know, there was no podcast then, but um, it's one of the most famous uh, radio, uh, transmissions. radio transmissions in the history of this, of this country, of yes. this nation. Um, this, I still, you know, I cry sometimes when I listen Because to it. Because we took we, what we could take. We took what we, we could have. We, t- we had an amazing vision and we made it a reality with the help of the international community. How come we are the ones preventing the same right from another people 70 years later? 
I cannot get it. I don't think it's right. And I think the... Uh, well, I think there's precedent to show that when you said that no one says that another state will provide the solution, but some will say that another state will actually do the opposite. I mean, you look at what happens in Gaza when we disengaged from there, and it just caused us more problems. So what would you say to people who are worried sincerely, and I think legitimately so to a certain extent, yes, I from think. withdrawing and if I might from add, the West Bank? Just that Gilead chair was here, mm -hmm. and uh, he was actually a part of the peace process. Mm -hmm. And he says that um, he uh, came to the conclusion that we, back then, there was no real partner. They didn't want to cut the deal back then. So, it, and it's not the first time. You're speaking about 48. They could have had a state back then if they wanted. So, yeah. So now. Yeah, you know, it's, there's a famous saying that uh, the Palestinians uh, never missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity. And I cannot, you know, I cannot argue with that saying. I mm -hmm. think it's a disaster for them. Um, I, I think I, I also know and feel it's a disaster for us. I think the question of political will and political leadership and the ability of leadership to deliver their own people what needs to be done and, and get it done is a huge part of you know any negotiation, any diplomacy that applies for the two parties. Um, having said that, I don't think this could use as an excuse for us to do nothing because this is killing us this is hurting us um being responsible and you know i i can agree with your notion we are on the right side of it but this is hurting us as well and we are responsible for another uh, um they are hurting us as a result of the situation we are hurting each other we are killing each other we are we are fighting each other but uh as an israeli I want to make sure that we pursue every opportunity. We turn every stone. We, you know, use the famous Jewish initiative and visionary uh, um, and acting out um, to achieve what we want and what we know is which, right. Which and if I may. using excuses about the, it's them, it's their fault, and let's do that, and let, you know. Which leads me to another guest we've had which is a Nobel Prize laureate <laughs> professor. He loves <laughs> dropping this name. It's his favorite Pro thing to do. Professor Aumann. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who specializes in game theory. Mm -hmm. And he says, game strictly game theory yeah, speaking. Yeah. <laughs> Being a hard right-winger has nothing to has do nothing with nothing to do with it. Strict strictly, it's science. It's yeah. science. Sure. Pure science. So he's saying, game theory says, if you want peace, prepare for war. And it, ha it has been proven in history, in several occasions, that if you uh, hold a, a big bat and, you know, the Israeli hold me, I'm going to screw you. Um, yeah. So, hold uh, me back, hold me back. Hold me I back, hold me back. The hold me back approach. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, is the way to get peace eventually, which is the opposite thing that f of what we are doing or what you think we should do, which is always be w wanting peace so first of all let me tell you i think this is uh, i don't know i'm i'm no expert in game theory but this is a very wise uh political rule it's also a, a latin phrase you yes. know when i was in uh, i think in the fifth grade i went i took <laughs> latin classes this really? i think this is the one sentence that i still remember civis passem para bellum if wow. you want peace passem is peace para Prepare bellum war. Look what we just got a merit um, member yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In Latin. So that's, <laughs> I, I think that you know, is a cool. very wise policy 
advice. Um, my question is, now that we have one of the strongest armies in the world, not just in the Middle East, in the world, we export our military and security knowledge all over the world. We have the, the most sophisticated airplanes, um, the strongest army, IDF, that we are so proud of. What about the first part? If you want peace, you know, the, the second part we have accomplished. We prepare for war. We are the most well-prepared army maybe in the world. Now, now comes the first part, and that I see much, 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 much less. So I want to combine the two parts of that very wise sentence. Fair enough. So let's, let's lighten up a bit and yeah. talk about, about something more, more fun. <laughs> Weed. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. so pull out the joint? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about your involvement in it because, I mean, it's been in the news lately a lot. Um, mm -hmm. The decriminalization of marijuana. Yes. Tell us, first of all, what kind of role you played in that uh, yeah, okay. struggle. So I was one of the activists um, very promoting um, this issue since the first time I was elected four years ago. Um, and I'm very proud to see a change in my time, in my term, that just happened a few months ago, where uh, Minister um, Interior Security Minister? Yeah, something like that. Whatever, Erdan. Um, declared, Public security. I yeah, think yeah, declared a policy change. It's not full legalization yet. It's not even full decriminalization, mm -hmm. but it is a change in policy, understanding that um, cannabis smokers are not criminals and are not, the, um, you know, criminal offenders that should sit behind bars, but they're normative, routine, you why know, is it functioning so people. This, why is it so important to you? Why did you get involved in it specifically in the first place? You know, I think this is part of our progressive um, platform. This is part of what we believe in, the freedom of people to hurt themselves, but just a little bit. Um, you're you're actually on the committee for alcohol and I, drug I abuse. I chair the committee. Yeah. I chair the committee, which got me a lot of criticism because how come a, a legalization supporter mm -hmm. can head, can chair the uh, the a committee against drug and alcohol? Yes. And uh, my and policy, response? yeah, and my policy is always very very um, concrete. We should look at all things that are bad for us and can cause addiction starting from caffeine for example or smoking which is very bad and my committee fights smoking very mm. strongly to alcohol to um, new drugs like synthetic you know drugs that are sold you know on kiosks in the streets and can cause an, an like irreversible nice damage kind of exactly yeah. um, to to cannabis which is um, when smoked cancerous um, yeah. When smoke <laughs> cancers? Um, Isn't that a sentence? I think it's the opposite. Cures cancer. No. Yeah, no. the medical use. Um, okay. You know, I think smoking is uh, not very good for you. I don't really recommend that. The question whether <laughs> or not... Smoking weed? Smoking in general, you know. Smoking is not very good for you. Drinking you is not very good for you. But there is good for you. There is medical, I mean, use for it. Right, A lot of people... Right, it is. It has, it has medical uh, um, benefits that we should learn to use wisely. And I think we're starting just starting to understand how much this is a growing industry and it's getting 
very, it's getting huge and Israel has um, we an have the potential. Front, yeah, yeah, we have an advantage mm -hmm. in technology we have people, and research. Yeah, people um, growing it and doing great things. With, and I think recreational yeah. use, the yeah. recreational smoke is part of it. I think, I think this is one of the things that someone can take responsibility over his or her behavior, understanding that this is not something that the society should criminalize. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, criminalization is something that you strongly, that you think is harmful, that someone can hurt him or herself or others, and you criminalize it in order to mark that this is not normative, that this is something that society yeah. punishes for. Smoking marijuana is just not one of these It's things. amazing how slowly, though, society moves, like, uh, it's, especially since it's happening in the States already. Mm -hmm. But it just takes years upon years, decades, for these things to, that are, seem so, like, obvious. Because alcohol causes so many more deaths mm -hmm. than, than weed. And mm. I mean, weed doesn't cause any deaths but unless no, you get no, on. That, it doesn't. It doesn't unless you get on the road when you're high. And even then, I mean, man, I, I don't know what you look. Okay, let's put. First of all, let <laughs> okay. me let me start by saying I I'm probably the only guy in Tel Aviv who doesn't smoke. Who do, who doesn't smoke and and is you against. Know, you know, even if it's not going to be uh, criminalized, it's not going to be compulsory to smoke. So you don't have to. That's okay. It should be. Okay. It should be. <laughs> but should be even some should be part of the education system. Even this is not true, though, because uh, we know that the law against smoking pub public spaces in Israel yeah. is years behind uh, states like New York. And even That's we're true, and we're working in our committee to promote that. And I think you shouldn't smoke anything in public spaces. I think you shouldn't smoke anything in parks, in gardens, in... In but people but do smoke so and, yeah. and when you decriminalize the question is pot, should it be criminal? because and i'm saying this because this when you smoke pot it is cancerous and when you smoke pot uh passively uh you you get you can get cancer from it you know Just you live like in cigarettes. tel aviv you, uh, you live in tel aviv walking in the street here is cancerous True. you True. don't ban buses and and cars as a result i think we should put the risks as they exist and when they do exist in the right proportion and treat, you cannot treat million Israelis and this is the amount that we think or we estimate that I don't believe this number. I refuse to. I refuse to. Definitely it's a few hundred thousand. Okay. You don't criminalize all of these normative people just because, you know, it goes to tell you that the law is wrong rather than yeah. their behavior. Um, and does it doesn't go to say that it should be, you know, recommended or allowed in public spaces? Well, there's spaces two things I want to... One, it, I mean, it does... There are studies that show that it it's, first of all, used today in many places to treat cancer, glaucoma, different. many different things. I'm not talking about that. But, but regardless of that, I'm saying... I don't think that it's, I mean, it's no ha more harmful than cigarettes themselves. And I think that yeah. beyond the smoking, meaning maybe the smoke is problematic, but there are, you know, other people means. have told me that there are <laughs> other ways to consume <laughs> marijuana. And I'm not sure what I they drops. are. You're referring they, to eye drops? But no, but there are other ways to consume marijuana. And, and th the effect of THC isn't necessarily True, negative. But we all but, know that once it's decriminalized, people will smoke weed more often. That's yeah. not, that's not, by the way, um, I don't know how many, what is the um, listenary 
uh, where do people who, who hear this Mostly podcast in the States. come from? Yeah, but where in the state? Colorado. Um, yeah, <laughs> Colorado, for example, that um, that legalized um, almost four years ago, yes. or more than four years ago now, um, did not show um, increase in rates of smoking. Um, did not show increase in crime. Did not show because everybody there was already smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody okay, there was then, already high. Okay, so. then it doesn't. No. It only goes to show you that um, you know all the black, yeah, yeah. you know, visionaries not necessarily, um, you know, come to necessarily come into fruition. Yeah, yeah. but I do want to ask you if you think that any time in the near future, or when you think, if we'll see legalization in our lifetime. Yeah, sure. I think. Here in Israel. Yeah, I'm sure it's closer than right. ever. You know, you said sometimes you. So have you got you got my vote. <laughs> you said <laughs> you said uh, before that um, that that some something that should happen you know and doesn't happen and how come you know from my experience in, so, in social change sometimes the things that you have to work the the hard you know the hardest for are those who should have been obvious you mm -hmm. know to begin with sometimes you have to work very hard to bring about a change that after it occurs. It's like, you know, how come it was ever differently? Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, um, and uh, many of the things that we already have achieved um, are like that. And many of the things that we yet to achieve, like public transportation on Shabbat, like civil marriage, for example, I'm definite we, sh we can and will see all of these changes very very soon and once they happen it would be like you know how come it wasn't like that yeah. forever it's a it's a nice opportunity to mention apropos the problem of public transportation in shabbat that now there's a kickstarter project here in israel uh, which is called Noah Tanua. Mm -hmm. So and they Shabbos. are and Shabbos, but not in Jerusalem. Yeah, Shabbos. but not Tanua now is really trending on social media. So mm -hmm. those are private people who decided to raise money and privately uh, activate uh, bus lines mm -hmm. in the center in Gushdan in Tel Aviv area um, for the benefit of the people. Yeah. How is that? Isn't that isn't that problematic as far when as when it's private, it's allowed, no, uh, okay. or something on, in it's, that sense? Uh, yeah, they, they found a, a kind of a loophole that yeah. works for the benefit of that because it's like a cooperative. Uh, so okay. you're not allowed to commercially to uh, like uh, operate a commercially private uh, yeah, uh, for line profit. for profit. But if you become a member in Noatanua and you pay the membership fee, you can ride the lines. Um, and this is a, a way to bypass uh, which is the laws. That, which is like, see, Jews. This is, this, <laughs> Jews. Is, this is the Jewish yeah. visionary. And I think yeah. that's great. And I think that's, that's really inspiring and amazing. And that's an example how, you know, the civil society will do things that leadership and politicians will fail to do. Right. Um, but you mentioned the, the pot as a, uh, an achievement, the marijuana as mm -hmm. an achievement and it, it's not obvious to have achieve achievements when in the opposition and right. since you since you became a Knesset member in the year 2008 13, 13? yeah okay sorry <laughs> uh yeah because yeah 2008 okay. you were on, you were city on the, council uh, the council yeah, yeah. No. in Tel Aviv city council but since then you've been in the opposition and the other uh um merits party members have been in the opposition for even longer mm -hmm. so I was wondering, how does it feel to be in the opposition? And does it bring a deeper sense of um, maybe representation? You're representing 
the minority in the Knesset. Mm -hmm. um, how does it feel like? What does it drive you? Yeah, you know, it f first of all, as you said, this is the reality that we know. We, I always say that um, we, you don't choose to be in the opposition. You're elected by the people to that position. This is not, you always prefer... to be in the government and have more authority and do more. Um, I do think Meretz is the perfect example of how much you can achieve even from the opposition, from a disadvantaged uh, position. For example, we just finished uh, a Knesset uh, term, like a session, you know, um, and, mm -hmm. and went on the Pesach um, recess. Um, and we are proud, very proud as Meretz to have passed 16 new laws Um, wow. that passed the third and, and the third reading and became right. a reality. Many of them very, very important. For example, something that I'm personally very proud of is the legislation that I passed um, to present for the first time in Israel a fraternity leave. So that's like a six-day um, parental leave for fathers yeah. mm -hmm. to become a part of the new family because right. up until then... If you're a father... And six days. Six days after wow. birth, that, that's, that's few. That's no, not I enough. Mean, it's, it's amazing that you but managed to pass change. something. Yeah, exactly, now you have an incentive to have children. <laughs> to have children, yeah. Because before that, you know, the mother went on maternity leave and the father had to go back to work the next yeah. day. Yeah. Which is not, doesn't make a lot of sense yeah. in, in uh, an era when we want to... Um, you know, praise the equality. The medieval. And the, yeah. Yeah, there are countries, I think, Scandinavian countries where, you know, three months. Right. <laughs> yeah. Six months. Yeah. A so, year. The whole so, year. So I think we should get it all off. So that's the first time that it was presented in Israel and yeah. I'm very proud of that and we have managed to pass another 15 laws and Which that's only merits with five members and that only goes to show you that when you work hard, when you believe in what you do and you do anything to achieve it, you can also succeed from the opposition. Right. But of course, we, we inspire for a political change in Israel where we will be part of the government and achieve even what more. What is your dream in the future left uh, ideal government? Uh, that would be obviously a left-wing government that will bring peace. But what social justice would you... Personally, mine, transportation. Yeah. That's my... Right. It's your yeah. passion. Yeah. Okay, the so... Minister of Transportation. Yeah, wow. that's, that's it's weird that huge. that's what gets your rocks yeah. off, like the Minister of Transportation. <laughs> that, can, that can revolutionize. Yeah. Did you country. have locomotives uh, as, a to as toys when you were a child? <laughs> <laughs> play with trains? I don't think so. No, no. But it is, it, it, interestingly enough, it is one of the most powerful ministries here in Israel. Is. The budget is huge. Uh, and the there's influence. so much to be done. There's like. so much to be done. So many roads to build. As no, no, no. I'm yeah, kidding. That's, I'm kidding. that's <laughs> the thing. That, you know, so that roads and, and, and intersections, <laughs> that's the exact opposite of what you need to do. Right. We want to see trains and buses and public yeah, transportation but that and people biking. That doesn't make for a good campaign slogan. There's so many roads to build just sounds good. You know, the yeah. traffic jam. And yeah. the pollution that we see here will not play very good yeah. on campaign next time either. It's true. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about your work in the municipality, but specifically how you uh, left the coalition, as we mentioned, following the protest and the protest itself. Yeah. Um, how, how do you feel about the protest? How do you feel about... Let's explain the protest for yeah. a second. Okay. How about you? You oh. want to go ahead and do uh, that? So the protest, <laughs> 2011, um, young people... 
I'll try not to be judgmental. Uh, young people decided uh, they w they wanted a change in the country and uh, like a grassroots movement of um, basically a social protest yeah. movement. One of the biggest the country's seen in yeah. the what? biggest, no, no, no. I, the biggest, the, the biggest, biggest in the country's history. Almost overnight, uh, uh, daily demonstrations, huge demonstrations, demanding yeah, people change. People were living in tents for yeah. for bathroom you know. is right and right. Basically, it was uh, as a reaction to what many felt was what the uh, kind of the erosion of the middle and the lower classes. And yeah, so I think the 2011 protest was basically about two things. First, this is maybe, you know, on the surface, like what was, was explicit in the protest. It was about uh, the prices of living, spe specifically housing. Specifically in Tel Aviv. Spe specifically not in the center no, no, of no, Tel Aviv. No, no, not really. You know, you know what the second... Um, you know, core like Jerusalem? event. No, the second one after Rothschild in Tel Aviv was Kiryat Shmona up what? north. Yeah, I don't uh, explain this, please. The I don't second, understand. you know, there was uh, there was ah, groups of the, mahal, like like uh, right. um, you know, a cluster yeah. of tents of yeah. people outposts uh, yeah, of like of tents, yeah, exactly protesting. of people protesting. Right, right, right. The first was on uh, Thursday night in Tel Aviv, in the center of Tel Aviv, in the Rothschild Boulevard. The second one, Kiryat Shmona, Kiryat Shmona which, which is, is up north yeah. by the Lebanon um, border. Wow. Um, mm. Yeah, and, and that goes to tell you that this is a national issue. People um, used to say, you know, these are spoiled Tel Avivians, but that was I still really... This was really not true, and you can see the unrest up until now, six years, almost six years later, about the prices of housing, the prices of living as as in general um, in this entire country. And I think the other thing w the protest was about, it was about a, a huge uh, a crisis of, of trust between Israelis and their leadership and their politicians. Yeah. And this is something that personally drove me into politics, understanding that politics can be something real, genuine, exciting, um, it, that has passion and that that is true, you know. That because we have we have in a way got used to seeing politicians as something corrupt, fake, mm -hmm. um, you which know. they sometimes are. Yeah, and I think <laughs> some. Uh, you know what? I think some of them really justify that reputation, yeah. but I think many of us don't. And I think the more people who are truthful and and passionate will come and become political activists right. we can push these people out right um, i think i think that the 2000 the big problem was all kinds of of problems or things that bothered the people got mixed together in this this kind of a stew yeah, because maybe. there is the thing about the cost of living and maybe um the middle class you know there was just a viral video um on facebook of this right-wing guy roi dan where he explains uh, uh, something amazing about israel that we have the 10 10 fractions of the population right how do you mm -hmm. say that Percent, uh, uh, percentage percentile yeah. yeah percentile so he shows on the graph how percentiles 10th until 7th don't pay almost any tax because they're too poor percentage uh one of 10 also doesn't pay so much tax because they find their way to to with tax shelters and what is left is only the nine the second and third percentiles they are the ones who paying almost all the taxes in israel 
and uh, financing the entire social and, uh, uh, of course, settlers. So this is something that also was a part of the protest, I think, mm -hmm. because it's the protest of those people, right? Yeah. So that's one thing. To a large extent. Yeah. yeah. And then the housing, I don't think it's it's a big issue um, because I know that in some places in Israel you still... But what I'm saying is that it was this mixture of mixture, but there are problems. First there are all, big problems, you know, no doubt. I, I think I'm much less cynical about those things. You know, I think when half a million people, half a million Israelis go out to the streets to protest, you have to listen. If you're a truthful leader, you cannot just say, ah, okay, these people pay that much of an amount of tax. Of everything can, you can explain and everything you can turn around. But right. I, I think that the one thing that maybe these people felt, and I know because I'm, I was and I still am one of them. Right. We felt that our needs are, are unmet. And we felt that the vision of this country is not going where it should go and it, it is not representing the vast majority of Israelis that want a better future. Now, true, this is a mixture and some people were about this and that. And, but people felt that it is getting harder and harder to carry on you know, the weight of what does mm -hmm. it mean to live here. And people, right. the one thing that they want for them and for their children is a better future. And this is the role of leadership to bring it. And if this prime minister cannot do it, we'll just elect another one who can. So you were in the city council and uh, you took part in the demonstrations. And at a certain point, someone in the municipality decided that enough is enough the city was in chaos this is tel aviv we have tourists here we <laughs> have pr to maintain right. and measures were taken to make it die slowly yeah. right and then what did you do about it yeah and then you know i strongly felt with my friends in merit we were three out of a 30 um seat council um we felt that we can no longer um, be a part of an administration who uh, um, goes against what we felt was the most genuine and, and passionate uh, protest and, and should uh, And the um, most result. basic human right. Yeah, exactly, protest. exactly. Um, so we, um, it was about, uh, I think, three or something years into our five-year term mm -hmm. um, and we just stepped out of the coalition and to the opposition and you have to understand that the city uh, a municipal opposition Very is much small. much weaker than even the national one you it's, asked me before how yeah. does it feel to be an opposition now in the national it's hard but you still have tools you can legislate you can lead things in the municipal um, field you pay a much higher political price by sitting in the opposition it's almost it ha you have not no power whatsoever yeah, but we still did it because we felt that it it would be the way for us to represent our you know uh, uh, our voters our values um, in the best way and we did right. it and we paid a price we had a uh, you know that the uh, city council member is a volunteering position yeah we had one um, um paid member one paid member and she has to leave office and you know that's also a personal price and mm -hmm. you know i think this is what we came for you know we came to represent what we believe in and what our voters believe in we didn't came just to sit in jobs and you know do nothing mm -hmm. right so what went wrong with this protest i mean do you or do you think it was you know i, I imagine you don't think it was a huge success what what went wrong i think it's not an it's not a one-shot 
you know thing it's not something that happens and you know you you in retrospect you can you can judge whether it was successful a success or a failure of course it did not meet all the dreams mm-hmm. that the protesters had um, on the other hand I think it's a process and I think the true the true achievement of that um, what started in 2011 mm-hmm. would be a political change now it's true that the number one like you know watershed in Israel in, in Israeli politics is the question of occupation the conflict and security the social uh, issues and the prices and things like that are considered second tier and maybe even lower on the order of priorities just put on it the back. other hand yeah on, no on the other hand I think more than that I think that the things are connected mm-hmm. they're not disconnected from each other I think it would be very hard to sustain a prosperous and a, and a just society when leaning so much on security as the number one um, thing that will never be achieved unless we solve the conflict Yes. And vice versa. It would be very hard to solve the conflict in a society that is, that is busy in survival all the time. So I think these things are strongly connected and the values of peace, equality, democracy and justice, they go for all. They're for all Israelis, they're for Israelis and Palestinians, they go for men and women, they go for gay, lesbian, straight people, you know. Yeah. They go for everybody and once you apply... The same values for all people, um, then you get policies that support you know peace, mm-hmm. social justice, civil equality, right. um, environmental justice. But you know tomorrow you're in Israeli politics, that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> like how did you how did you get to that place? Like did you ever did you know it's it's your dream to do it? How did you wind up? Never if you would ask it? me. You know, I always say, I didn't seek for that. It kind of found me. I, I, if you asked me one month before I ran in primary elections to be a, a sitting city council member and you would, would have asked me, are you going to run for office yourself? I would say never. This is hard. This is, you know, very like... Um, um, Kfui tova, you know, it's very... Kfui tova itan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look it up. We'll look it up, yeah. <laughs> Google Translate. Yeah. Um, so no, so how, how did it happen? It, because, you know, in a way, I felt that um, there is a voice that should be heard in public. Oh, it's not a voice that came to you on your dream. Exactly, exactly. It's me and, you know, Jacob from... Yeah. (laughs) um, No, I'm kidding. I um, I was going to ask you to tell us a little bit about Jacob. (laughs) (laughs) No, but what actually, like, did someone approach you? How did it it go down? Um, I just, you know, I was, uh, at the time, I was working as a staffer, as an assistant for a Knesset member, also Mm -hmm. for Meretz. And he... I worked, his name is Ran Cohen, and mm-hmm. he was very famous uh, in Israel, and he, he's responsible for some of the prominent social politi- policies, like public housing, for example. Um, and uh, I worked for him in his last 
five years out of the 25 years that he served in the Knesset. And I, I worked with him when he decided to retire and to, you know, uh, um, end this very, very inspiring uh, career. And um, at some point I said, okay, this is a moment of transition um, from him to starting to develop, you know, the younger voice. And at some point I kind of found that voice in me and started, uh, decided to make it mm -hmm. be heard. Right. And then I ran for primary and I was elected, you know. Something that people don't know enough about politics is that it's all you know, elections and primary elections. You, you live from a primary to a primary. Yeah, but, but you know, I was, I was the one who got elected. You know, there are many in the same way I could not get elected and I wouldn't be sitting here now. I think, you know... It's, it's not easy also. No, it's very hard. And um, out of everyone that is elected, there are at least, I don't know how many, yeah. maybe dozens... Who, who took mortgage on their house to, yeah. to just yeah. to run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're just saying the position literally chose you uh, as opposed to you. No, the voters chose me and I, and I ran and I convinced them. So I, I'm not saying it happened by accident. I, want, yeah. I don't want to, you know, I think it's also a women's thing. We, women always think that something yeah. ha just happened and they didn't do anything. I so was sweeped I, off my feet. Yeah, so I, no, was, that was you know, all you. I worked hard yeah. for that yeah. and I believed in myself and I had people who believed in me and they're still around me and supporting me and I think it's a very, you know, to mobilize people, it's a, an important, you know, yeah. part in politics. So I'm not trying to... So what know, does it take to be a good Israeli politician, <sighs> in your opinion? First of all, I think you have to have the vision. You have to have the faith. You have to know what needs to be done and I imagine and dream, like Martin Luther King said. Um, and then you have to mobilize people to make that happen. Yeah. And also con maybe connect to people. Because yeah. this is a very... Uh, everything Politics here is so is intimate. People's, I think it's everywhere. I think if you ask any politician, you know being able to relate to your to people and to mobilize them to do what your vision is yeah. about but do you ever get sick of like is there ever too much whining and dining and schmoozing and like <laughs> do you have um, like no comment no i think no i no i think you know israelis at large you know in general are very very politically involved very interested uh very engaged um, here you don't get when you walk in the streets you don't get you know people's like indifference or they don't care everybody care about everything people are highly highly motivated and I think they're just looking to hear the right thing and, and to come and, and you know um, act together mm -hmm. so it's not very hard to get people yeah like you know they're, they're just waiting for something yeah Tamar it was such a pleasure Great. My Thank pleasure. you so we much. We had so much Thank fun. You. Good luck with everything. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Yes. Bye. Thank Great. you. Bye bye.